0: going to tip you off ahead of time i am preaching on prayer and i'm going to ask you at the end of this message what your next step is okay so i'm not going to ask you publicly so don't freak out about that but but i mean i'm going to i'm going to be calling you to to make a next step um basically to to say okay this is going to be my next step in my progression in being a person committed to prayer being a person who's steadfast in prayer being a person who's devoted in prayer and so I don't want to catch you off guard, you know, in those last seconds, and then you have nothing. And so I want you to be actually thinking about it the entire time. All right. So you already know the question that's get, you're going to be hit with at the end of the service. And so when you get the answer from the Lord, and I believe you will, I want you to write that down. So maybe you got a pen, or maybe you don't have a pen. Maybe you got your phone, and you want to write it in the notes. But but I'd really like for you to leave today. I I, I think there's no reason for you not to leave today with some kind of next step like okay this is the next step. I'm going to do this this week on my on my journey to becoming a person who continues steadfastly in prayer the stakes are really monumentally high for you to do that like to not do that i think has real ramifications on your life to be a person basically what, that's not progressing in prayer you're not continuing steadfastly in prayer so I want you to do that. So that's the question you're going to be hit with at the end of the sermon that I want you to be able to answer. So I think prayerfully, if you just ask God to help you, he will give you some kind of next step as we work through this passage. So Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. We're just reading two verse, a couple verses here, 2 through 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Father, we give you praise today. You are a great king. Jesus, your face shines like the... Son, at full strength, your voice is like the roar of many waters. You are alive forevermore. We praise you as our King. Father in heaven, I pray that you'd reveal to us, through the power of your Holy Spirit, your truth, God, that you would whet in us an appetite to pray. Father, give us a, a desire to pray, not out of guilt, not out of feeling bad about ourselves, but out of feeling hopeful and expectant and excited about all that you are. God, you're you're more than enough for us. God, you're more than enough for every need, and so God, give us a desire to pray. Father, we invite you to do that in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the command is to continue steadfastly in prayer. So you could translate that in a lot of different ways. Some of your Bibles translates it to be devoted to prayer, almost like that better. Uh, some of your yours may say something like to be persistent, to be consistent. It, it, it's all trying to capture basically that Paul is calling on us to be people who relentlessly pray, okay? Not now and then, not sporadic, not hit and miss. No, 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 that's, that's all the opposite of what he's saying. He's saying people who are devoted, committed, relentless in their prayer. Now, it's interesting that when you open up to the book of Acts, you find that the early church did exactly this, all right? So the very word that we find here is, In Colossians, uh, that we're called to be continually steadfast or to be devoted to prayer, we find in the book of Acts, speaking of the early church continually. So in Acts chapter 1, as the uh, disciples gather together um, after the ascension of Jesus, it says in Acts chapter 1 verse 14, it says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So we take that to mean in verse 13 it says they were, then when they entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. So they're, they're continually coming to this place and they are devoting themselves to prayer. Going to chapter 2. It describes their daily habits, and it says in verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. If you go into Acts chapter 6, which here here's the, the passage that really, I guess, gave me a bit of a handle on what does it mean to be devoted to prayer? What does it mean to be continually steadfast in prayer? Okay, Acts 6 helps. So I'm going to read it. Uh, I'm going to read the first four verses, okay? In these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we, here it is, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. All right, now, when I, when I thought about that passage, I thought, man, that helps me understand what Paul is talking about here, okay? So when he says, devote yourselves to prayer, continually be steadfast in prayer, and I go back to Acts 6, that, that's a great picture of what that means, all right? Because he, here's, here's what happened, all right? So normally, we're not consistent in prayer, Why? Well, lots of reasons, but I think a lot of you would say something like, because I've got other things that take up my time and attention, right? Like I've got cattle to feed, I've got the kids to run to soccer, I've got dinner to make, I've got the bathroom to clean, I've got, you know, late nights at work, and then i got to, you know, do the yard work, and i got to do this, and I've got to do that. And gotta, you know, we got all these things that take up our time and attention, and kind of, that's why we can't pray, right? responsibilities at work and at home with kids and activities and even sleep. You know, I'm just tired. I just, man, I I get home and I'm shot and I go right to bed and that's why I can't pray. So what we find here in Acts chapter 6 is we've got men who have a serious responsibility, right? So the apostles are responsible for distributing funds and groceries and utilities and money to, I don't know, thousands of people. I mean, we know that at Pentecost, 3,000 we people were saved. So, you know, you got you got a thousands of, of people here in the church, lots of them widows, lots of them, you know, in, in trouble because of their faith. And so these guys are responsible for that. But they've hit a problem. And the problem is, is that the need is so great, okay? They've got to be out distributing funds, visiting these homes, getting food where it needs to be. The need is so great that it's pulling them away from prayer. And so here's what they do. They 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 appoint other people to do the chores. They 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 spread out the the, the workload so that they can devote themselves to prayer. do, do you see why that's helpful to me? Uh, because normally what we do is we say, Well, I can't pray because I gotta do this. Okay, but but Acts 6 says, in order to be devoted to prayer, what that essentially means is you're like, Well, I can't do that because I gotta pray. You see, it's the opposite. See, we usually say, well, I can't pray because I need to do this. This has got to be done. Okay, but but what Acts 6 says is when you're devoted to prayer, you say, I can't do that because I need to pray. And and so I I guess that's kind of the benchmark for us is, all right, so when we find ourselves saying, you know what, I can't can't watch that next Netflix uh, series with you anymore because I've got to pray. Or when we find ourselves saying, you know what, we're going to have to figure something out for the kids' schedule, you know, because we really can't be out that late because I got a prayer. Or, or, you know what, I, I can't go to that exercise class early in the morning because that's going to run into my prayer time. When we find ourselves doing that, when we find ourselves saying, I'm not going to do this thing, I'm not going to be a part of it, even if it's an important thing, because I, 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 I that will that's pulling into my prayer time. Now, what I really think is true of most of us is probably we've got enough actual fluff in our life. That probably we, legitimately, we probably won't have to cut out anything serious, okay? Like they did. But nevertheless, what have you got to do? Like, like maybe you don't have any fluff, okay? Then something else has got to come on the chopping block. I mean, that's essentially what these guys were saying. I mean, can you imagine it? Hey, Miss Widow, I'm not going to come to your house anymore. This other guy is, because I. I can't, I can't pull away from my devotion to prayer. Like, I'm so seriously intent on prayer that I'm not going to be able to do that. They are serious about the work of prayer. And when I say the work of prayer... I say that because that's the way Paul is going to describe it later on. We may hit this here in a couple weeks, but in verse 12, he talks about this guy named Epaphras. He says, uh, same chapter, Colossians 4.12, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stay mature. So This guy is a, a guy who labors in prayer, so I, I think that's the way they looked at it. This is a work, okay? This this is labor. This is this is a job, in a sense, that, that every believer is commanded here in in Colossians 4, to be a part of we are to be steadfast in our prayer life now do you think of yourself as being continually steadfast in prayer do you work at it do you labor at it are you devoted to it i'm just expecting that there's going to be lots of no's um maybe not maybe 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 we're we're all yeses i I don't know i'm 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 thinking I need to do a lot better, okay? I don't know about you, but I'm thinking there's a lot of no's this morning. Um, maybe there's some others that would would say what I've been tempted to say before. Well, I, I pray all day long. How, how, many you, how many of you had that one coming up? You you had that in the holster and you're ready to pull it out, you know? Well, I pray I pray all day long. I'm, you know, I'm I'm in the truck or I'm ever, you know, as I go through my day, I'm always offering up, you know, these little prayers. And that's, that's absolutely great. I, 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 that, that please keep doing that, okay? That, that's a biblical thing. I was reading in Nehemiah this past week, uh, Nehemiah chapter one, no, chapter two it is, and, and he talks about coming before the king, and right as he sees he's got an opportunity, he shoots up one of those little silent, you know, God help me, you know, type of prayers, all right? And, and, and so, so maybe you're here today and you say, I pray all day long, okay, but here's what I would tell you. I don't think you can make the case that you're devoted to prayer unless you actually carve out time to be with God and pray. How much time? I, I don't know. I, I I don't know that anybody knows the answer to how much time. But I'm but I'm saying, and in other words, if it's just well, I go throughout my day, and as I'm driving, you know, that person cuts in front of me, and I'm like, God, please help me not to kill him, you know, and you know, and then I go a little further, and God, please help me not to be angry, you know, or I get in, I order my food, and it's wrong, and I'm like, Lord, you know, help me to be thankful, you know, uh, those are all good, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's actually. Saying, do do you carve out time in your day to come before God with all of your requests and lift them up on a continual basis? I think that's what he's talking about. And and I think it would really be a stretch for us to say we're devoted to anything unless we do that. You know, for instance, would you say, what what if someone said, uh, I'm a devoted golfer? But, But as you got to talking to them, you found out that they hardly ever play 18 holes of golf. They hardly ever play nine holes of golf, but what they do is, they've they they've got some uh, a club sitting out on their on their uh, on their bench outside in the yard, and they got a cup out there. And a lot of times on their way to work, you know, they'll be kind of watering the flowers, and they'll take that and do a little putt, you know, and at work, you know, when they, they need to stretch their legs and stuff, they've got one at work too, or maybe they got one of those little ones on their desk, you know, or you, you know, you do the little kind of, beep, you know, and you know, at home, same deal, they get home and, you know, they're out messing with the dog, feeding the dog, walking the dog, and they'll pick up that putter again and do a little putt here, maybe, maybe, maybe four or five even, you know, okay, could you make the case that guy is a devoted, committed golfer, I don't, don't think you could. I think those guys of you who golf in here, I think you would say, look, if they're not out playing 18 holes, at least nine holes, you know, on a regular basis, like I think probably most guys in here would say a devoted golfer is a guy that he plays golf all summer long. Every week, a couple times a week, he's playing 18 holes. He's giving up a morning to play golf. That's a devoted golfer. I think we could could all probably agree with that. I think it would be hard for me to make the case that I am a devoted basketball player. When in reality... I I do shoot lots of baskets. We always have a ball in our driveway and Colt wants to play, he wants to do that bungee cord thing all the time, you know, and while he's doing that, I will very, almost every day, pick up a bat and shoot a couple baskets. How many basketball games have I played in the last 20 years? I can think of one, okay? So I I just think it would be hard for me to make the case that I am a committed, devoted basketball player. And and, and so I I think the same thing with prayer. I mean, I, I think if, I don't think you can make the case you're devoted to prayer if simply, as you walk through your life, as something kind of comes up, you 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 pop up a prayer. Which, if, man, if you hear me saying, don't do that, please no. That's right. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying that's absolutely what you should be doing all day long. You should should pray without ceasing. The Bible says that. Okay, but I think what Paul is saying here when he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. I think what he says over in verse 12 when he says, Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ, Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. I don't think those are popcorn prayers. I think that's, I'm going to take some time to pray, to be with God. To devote myself to prayer. So, I, I think that's what we're talking about. And I think that, for most of us, is really hard. Right? I think it is. Sam Storms, I like reading him. <laughs> he had a great quote. He said, the easiest thing about prayer is quitting. It's true, isn't it? The easiest thing about prayer is not doing it. I mean, that that's the easiest thing is neglecting it. Okay? In fact, Jesus knew this would be so. In, in Luke 18, he he has a whole parable. He actually does in Luke 11. He's got a different parable in Luke 11. But there's several parables in, in, in his teachings simply told to us so that we would not give up on prayer. In Luke chapter 18, he tells this parable, and here's how it begins. He says he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. In other words, he wants you to... To be devoted to prayer. He wants you to give time and effort to prayer. And so how do we do that? Here's what I'm convinced of. I've I've heard other people say this, and I think it's true today. If all you get out of this morning is feeling bad, like if I succeeded so far in doing that, you know, which I actually wasn't trying to do that, but let's say you're just out there and you're like, ah, you know, I've watched... 29 seasons of survivor and I still haven't you know carved out time to pray you know and and like that just hits you you know that you just you blow a lot of time and you don't pray and so you feel bad and you're you're right now kind of just kicking dirt and you know you're like oh oh, why if that's all you get I don't think you'll pray like I, I think you'll at some point feel better right You'll go to Mazio's. doesn't that always make you feel better? You know, you'll go to Dairy Queen or whatever, you'll have a blizzard, you know, you'll go home, you'll take a nap, and you'll feel better, you know? I mean, the, the words of the sermon kind of fade, and, and you'll be like, you won't feel bad anymore, and so, you know, 30th season of Survivor, load it up, you know, and, and there you'll go, you know, and you, and you just, you won't pray. So I don't think that'll work. I don't, I don't think that's, that's where we ought to go. There's there's got to be another motive, and here's what I think it is. I I think for you and I to be committed to prayer, we've got to be convinced of its value. John Bloom said this. He said, "We don't pray we don't pray more because we don't really believe it will do much good." That one hits me hard. Didn't it hit you hard? I mean, we don't, we don't pray more because we... In other words, what he's saying is when we find ourselves not praying, it's really a faith deal. It's really a belief deal. It's it's really... I mean, we're all going to do the thing that we believe needs to be done, right? Like, like some of you will go home this afternoon and you'll go in your bathroom and it's got a funky smell and man, you won't rest until the smell is gone. You know, like you're gonna clean it. You're gonna, you know, you'll go home and the, the kitchen looks terrible, and you got company coming over, and you're like, that's gotta be done. You know, I mean, we're doing that. We're getting it done. Or your yard, you'll come home, you you look at your neighbor's lawn, you know, golf course, golf course, golf course, your jungle. You're like, ah, we're like, we're gonna do that, right? I mean, we all do what we think needs to be done. Maybe even to go further, we do what we think will make us feel better. We do what we think will make our life better. Those are the things we do. Whether it's housework or more TV or exercise or more work or time with friends or video games, we do what we think. Here's a way to say it. We do what we think will be the most benefit. Right? So sometimes, why do you nap? Because if we think that that's what's gonna be the most benefit. Why do we do that? What we do what we think will be the most benefit. And, and so what we need to be convinced of today is that coming to God in prayer will be the best benefit. Like, what's the best thing you do for your household? You know what? Probably pray. Now, I, I know the dishes have to be done at some point, but, you know, if it's if it's the dishes stay in the sink for 20 more minutes, while you interceded for the souls of your children? I don't know. I think that's maybe a bigger hit. I think, I think there might be a greater benefit there. I think, I think the Bible tries to convince us of that over and over again. Let me read you some passages on prayer. And you tell me, don't you think the Bible is baiting us here that God answers prayer like he moves when we, when we pray? Like he's invited, he's, he's ordained the universe. I don't know why. Had, had a fifth grade boy ask me that this week at BBS. He's like, you know, if, if God can do anything, then why do we pray? And I'm like, that's a great question. And I don't know the answer other than that God has said, this is the way I'm going to do it. This is the way I'm going to work the world. I'm going to work it through your prayers. When you pray, I'm going to move. When you don't pray, I may not move. I mean, he can do whatever he wants, sure. But that, that's the way that God has ordained the universe. And so listen to these passages. So Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Man, he's not guilting us there, is he? He's not like making us feel bad. What's he doing? He's bribing us almost. He's like, come, man, I'll answer you. You'll see, you'll find. He's, He's baiting us. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you who are evil, you're broken dads, you're broken fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Wait, what's he? Man, he is inviting us. He's saying, man, you need to believe that I'm a good father and that I know how to give good gifts to my children, to those who ask. So you should ask. Luke 18, it's a passage we just looked at where Jesus said, I'm telling you this so that you won't lose heart, so that you'll keep praying. And here's what he says. who cry to him day and night, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, will the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, he goes the opposite direction. In Matthew 7, he says, man, God is a good father. Man, don't you know how good he is? Don't you know he knows how to give good gifts? Okay? And then in this illustration, he goes the other end and he says, man, look at how it works even in in, in life. You know, if you pester somebody long enough, they're likely to give you what you need. You know, I mean, if you are relentless enough, if you are shameless enough just to keep coming and coming and coming and coming and coming, eventually you'll wear them down. All right. And then he comes over and says, But guess what? God is not an unjust judge, He's not an uncaring, foolish, wicked guy. He's a good father. And you're not a widow, you're His elect. How much more? If that is true, how much more is God going to give you what you need? First John, last one. First John 5, 14 and 15. And this is confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Now, all of those passages, what, what are they doing, folks? They are essentially encouraging us to pray. They're saying, come to him, come to him. He will give you what you need, okay? Now, it's not in a vending machine way where you get a punch in, I want a Reese's, I want it now. You know, it drops down. You have this immediate gratification. God doesn't work that way. You guys know that. Um, He gives us what we need. He's a good father. He gives it to us at the right time in the right way. He changes our desires. He works through prayer in magnificent ways and lots of other ways other than giving us what we need. Okay, but... But the thing that this is telling us is that you need him. You need him. Prayer is the practical conviction that you can't do it on your own. If you're not praying, then essentially you believe something else is the answer to your life. Like trying harder, pulling strings, getting angry. I think some people are convinced that getting angry is the answer to their life. Like, man, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna my foot down and I'm going to make you know I'm going to show them I'm going to get you know some people are convinced that's the answer some folks are convinced that pouting or you know self-pity or working more or pure chance or luck I don't know but prayer is the demonstration that you believe God is the answer none of those things you think God is the means of your help and practical prayer is practical dependence upon God Number two, why should we pray? We should continue steadfastly in prayer because we need to learn to bring our desires to God. Okay, so when we offer up our desires to God in prayer, something really magnificent happens. He begins to shape our desires. See, if you're not not giving your desires to God in prayer, guess what happens? Your desires go off the rails because they're, they're unruly anyway. Like, like Satan is always tempting us with deceitful desires and, and our flesh is broken and weak. And, and so if you're not continually bringing your desires to God, then then your desires are going to go in the wrong direction. In fact, there's a great passage about this. Actually, it's in James. It it's actually says this is the root of conflict. This is, this, is why, this is why some people are so mad all the time. It's because they don't bring their desires to God. You know, uh, James would make the case that most of our anger... Is, is a result of wanting something that we can't get. You know, whether it's you want respect and you don't get it, or you want you know justice and you don't get it, or you want comfort and you don't get it, or you want things a certain way and you don't get it. And, and, and he says, people are really angry because they don't take their desires to God. Listen to what he says. This is James 4. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire and you don't, you don't have. You don't get it. So you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So you don't, you don't take your desires to God. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. So in other words, prayer is a great way to, to govern our desires. So when when you have a habit of day after day after day, morning and night and noon and carving out time, and you're bringing your desires to God, you know, God, God, I want to be successful in this way. God, I want, I want this kind of relationship. God, I want this kind of marriage. God, I'm frustrated with this relationship, with this work thing. God, I'm, you know, when you're bringing all those to God all the time, you know what God is doing? Well, first of all, he's shaping them. Has that ever happened to you when you pray? Have you ever begun to pray about something and God changes the way you pray about it? Man, that happens to me all the time. Like, like, he's bending my desires as I bring them to him, okay? And then he's also meeting them most of the time in ways that I don't expect. But if I'm not doing that, then what am I doing with my desires? Well, what would you say? Here's what you wouldn't say Well, I just don't have any desires. That's a lie. You do. So if you're not bringing them to God, what are you doing? You're trying to get them done yourself. True? Right? You're trying, you're trying to get it done yourself. You say, oh, man, I want this. And so I'm, I'm manipulating. I'm leveraging. I'm, I'm one of those people that knows how to drop you know, hints on people to put the pressure on them. You know, or I'm throwing a fit. You know, I'm trying to get the family's attention. I'm stomping around. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get things done. I'm, I'm trying to get my desires my way. James is like, why don't you just be committed to prayer, you know? And then you, you bring those to the Father, and he shapes them and molds them and gets them right, and then he answers them in his time and his way, and you can trust him to do that. Number three, we will continue steadfastly in prayer when we are obedient to the mission of God, Okay? When we're obedient to the mission of God. So, in other words, I don't think any of us are really going to be devoted to prayer until we are also devoted to the mission. Okay? Prayer and the mission of God are vitally connected. Okay? So, if you're not in the mission of God, then you probably will find not as many reasons to pray. Or most of your reasons will end up being very selfish and God will have to, curb those desires and change them and but but if you're in the mission of god then you're going to find an abundant opportunity to pray here's something's cool so paul he's a gifted communicator i think we would all agree with that i mean he wrote the book of romans probably the greatest letter ever written um paul knows the word of god backward and forward we know that he knows the entire old testament pretty much by heart he quotes it all the time Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament. Paul was caught up to the third heaven and saw things that not even he could describe to us. He tells us that in 2 Corinthians. Paul met and heard the audible voice of the resurrected Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road. Okay? But here's what Paul knows. Paul knows that he needs God to work in the hearts and the circumstances of people in order for them to come to Christ. And so he is praying, and he's asking other people to pray. He's asking the church at Colossae to pray. What's he praying? let's, Let's go back to our text. So Colossians 4, 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. Isn't that a cool phrase? That God may open to us a door for the word. Doors are the ways that you get in and out of here. I would say with almost complete certainty that if everybody in this room, you're you're inside our building right now, right? And you got inside here by coming through a door. There might possibly be somebody who snuck in through a window, but I'm trying to think. I don't think any of our windows, well, my office window opened. So maybe, I don't think anybody did. So I think every one of you, you got in through the door, right? So a door is a way that something gets in to, to a place, okay? So that's what a door is. And so Paul is praying for a door to be opened for the word. So he's praying for for a way for the word of God to get into people's lives, okay? Now, what word? That That's a great question. So he answers it, verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, and then he He explains himself to declare the mystery of Christ on which on account of which I am in prison. Okay, so so the word he's talking about is the mystery of Christ. Now, why is it a mystery? Because people don't know. People don't know who he is. That's the plague of our world is that people don't know who Jesus is. They, They don't see him rightly. They, they, they don't understand who he is. They've not seen his glory. They don't know that he's the perfect man. They don't know that he's the creator. They don't know that he spoke everything into existence that exists. They don't know that their unbelief, that, 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 that they're living in a capital offense against God. They don't know that. They don't know they're sinners. Okay? They don't know that the very core of their being is a brokenness and a blindness that makes them uninterested in God. It makes them interested in everything else but God. It actually makes them want to be their own God. That They don't know that. It's a mystery. They don't know that Jesus put on human flesh, that he became man, that he lived the perfect life, that he died a brutal and torturous death on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, and on the third day that he rose from the dead, and that he rose from the dead because he is resurrection, he is life, he is alive forevermore as the resurrected God-man, and people don't know that. And they don't know that they can be joined to him. They don't know that Jesus Christ lives now. He's in the heavens. Man, I, I read Revelation 1 this week. I've been talking Revelation 1 all week long. They don't, they don't realize that his hair is, is, is white as snow, that his face blazes as the sun at full strength, that his voice is as the roar of many waters. They don't know that that glorious, resurrected, all-powerful being exists, and that they can actually be connected to him forever that they can be joined to that jesus they can be joined to that blazing glorious power of jesus christ by faith through repenting of their sins they can be joined to Him forever so that their sins are forgiven and jesus righteous life is put into their account and they're indwelt by the holy spirit and they begin to become like him in character and in power and in life paul knows that he knows people don't know that and so he is praying that a way, a door, would be opened so that that truth could be brought to people's lives. Now, sometimes it simply means the circumstances would be favorable so that you'd get to talk to somebody about Jesus. So so here pretty soon, as soon as we get tickets and stuff straight, I'm going to begin to ask you to pray that I would get into India, right? Right? So that, that's, a, that's a big deal anymore. It wasn't the first year I went. It really was last time. It will be this time. Um, my, me being a pastor, I got to put that on my, as my profession. That's a big deal that I'll even get into the country. It's a dicey deal. I got to arrive there. Got to try a tourist visa. Will I even get into the So I'll have you pray that a way would be open for me to get to a place where I might be able to share the good news. I might be able to tell people about this Jesus. There's a lot of times where I, I have a start of a relationship, but I really don't have an Access. I don't have an open door. You know. I guess you might say, well, you could just go do it. Well, yeah, but I I want it to be a good opportunity, right? So there's lots of times where I will know somebody. I'll I'll have met them at softball. They'll be on my kid's softball team. I'll know their first name, maybe, or I'll, I'll know they'll be they'll moved into my block and I'll see them on the lawn and I've stopped and said hello, and I'll begin to pray. God, open the way, open the door for me to have a conversation with them. And man, I, I remember when we were having our January prayer month. You know, I had that list of people that I was praying with. I shared this testimony with you, but and then God had always worked this way. But within a matter of two weeks, God had given me an open door in every every one of those people's lives. And, and one, the one that was the most amazing was, I'm putting Colt in in uh, in the car seat in in a parking lot at a fast food restaurant. I see the guy walking, and he sees me. He, he just almost like the Holy Spirit was turning him. You know, it's like, you know, he's like walking in the, and he's like, comes over right to me. I'm hooking Colt in and says, hey, could you tell me what does it mean to be baptized? That, my friends, is an open door. OK, so here I don't I've never really had a conversation with this guy. I know his name. He knows my name. We've met. I think we did have a short conversation one time. I begin to pray, God, give me an open door into this guy's life. The Holy Spirit does that in a miraculous way. He doesn't always do that. He does not always do that. But he, but he did that time. And, and and actually, everybody on my list in January, I, man, God gave me an open door. He, gave, he opened a way for the gospel conversation. But in another sense, open doors are more than just circumstances to allow the gospel conversation. They are open hearts. Because there are many times where I've had gospel conversations. I, I remember one time I'd been praying with a guy, praying for a guy, praying for a guy, praying for a guy. God open it up. I'm on his front porch. I was taking a, I was jogging actually one night. And I saw him, er, pull in there, you know, start the conversation. He opens it up. I go through the door, but his heart is not open. Like we talk for 20, 30 minutes, and he just has this wall up against the gospel. I think of that, that parable, parable of the soils. Remember that? Where 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 Jesus says, you know, the sower goes out and he sows a seed. He throws the word of God. The truths about Jesus out there. But there's some hearts they're like pavement. They're like interstate, man. The seed just bounces off. They're they're for whatever reason, they're resistant to the gospel. Other people, it's shallow soil, man. There is not much soil there. And they might immediately grasp onto it, but they're they're not in any way committed they're not in any way all in they're not all in and so the word's not going to bear fruit other people are weedy they got they got all this stuff in their life and so they're they're initially like you bet let's let's put the gospel in that sounds good too you know i got this and this and this and this going on in my life might as well have the gospel too it never bears fruit it can't get enough nutrients right and then there's good soil okay an open door for the word is good soil good soil acts 14 27 Paul speaks of a door of faith being opened to the Gentiles. A door of faith. In other words, their, their hearts are receptive to the gospel. Is your son, your daughter, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, are they interested in Jesus? And if they're not, then are you praying this prayer. Are you, are you praying? This is what Paul is praying. He's praying it so diligently. He's asking other people to pray it with him. Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. God can open doors for the word. Man, someone in your life that you care a lot about and they're not interested in the gospel. Okay, now is your time to pray and now is your time to ask other people to pray that God would, would soften their heart, that he would open that access to the Word of God to come into their hearts to make an atmosphere of receptivity to the Word of God. That's what Paul is praying. Now, can you see how, if you're in the mission, right? Everybody in here knows 100 lost people. If you're in the mission of God and you really care about other people coming to Christ and being disciples, can you see how you might be devoted to prayer? man, is there not a lot to pray about? All of a sudden, right? Like if you're one of those people who are like, well, I, I, you know, I carve out time to pray, but I just sit there and my mind goes blank and I don't have anything to pray about. Well, if you're in the mission of God, your mind's not going to go blank because you're going to begin to think about, you know, Bill and Bob and Sue and, you know, all, all these people that, that that's, whose hearts need to be open to the Word of God. But I want you to notice, not only does Paul pray for an open door to the Word, but he also asks that the people of Colossae pray for him, that God would enable him to make the gospel clear. That just blows me away. Here's Paul who wrote the book of Romans, and you know what he's praying? He's saying, God, guys, would you also pray for me that I would make this clear? <laughs> I just think Paul is Paul realizes this is the greatest truth in the world, the greatest news in the world, about the greatest being in the world, and I want to make sure I make that clear. And a lot of people say, well, I, you know, I don't want to witness... Now, I'm afraid to witness because I don't know that I can do it right. okay, then pray. that's what Paul did. He said, man would you pray for me that I make this clear? The answer is not don't share. you know you know it's almost certain that people will not understand who Jesus is when you don't share, right? That's like a zero. okay so so share and pray and ask other people to pray that God would enable you to make it clear. Now now final question, why does Paul ask other people to pray for him? So that's what he's doing here. He says, verse, he says, he commands them to be steadfast in prayer. And then in verse 3, he says, at the same time, pray also for us. And, and by the way, he does this all the time. He does this in, in several other books, several other places. He says, would you guys pray for me? Now, why why does Paul do that? Let, let me ask it this way. Do you do that? Do you ask people to pray for you? Do you feel like you're bothering people to ask them to pray? Do you have the kind of relationships where it really makes sense for other people to be praying for you. In other words, you've got this kingdom partnership with them. You're praying for them. You're part of their life. They're praying for you. Do they know enough about your life? Do you know enough about their life to actually intercede for one another? You should. Now, why? Why isn't, why isn't it good enough for Paul to pray? He's probably a pretty good prayer, isn't he? we got a bunch of his prayers in the Bible. So if he's praying for an open door, why does he need the people in Colossae praying? two two things. There's probably a lot of reasons, but let, let me give you two. We've got time for two. Number one for the glory of God. Okay? So so in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks about this terrible affliction, tragedy that they'd had, difficult time and and he he rallied people to pray for him. Um, He said he was so burdened the spirit of life itself. And then in verse 11, he says this. He says, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. He basically says, you need to pray for us so that when God answers, God will be glorified through thanksgiving. So in other words, the more people you have praying for you and for your mission, the more God is lifted up. So why should you ask people to pray for you for the glory of God? You see, a lot of times we we don't want to bother people. We don't. Well, you just don't want God to be glorified, honestly. That that's like you don't you care more about your own reputation than you do about the glory of God. Otherwise, you would ask people to pray. Second reason, and this one goes right along with it, it is a really good humbling thing. It 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 combats pride when we recognize that we not only need God but we need other people praying for us. That's why God's wired the church. That's why we're in small. One of the reasons we're in small groups. God has wired the church so that we need each other. I can't tell you what went through my mind when I finally got to speak to Pastor Vizcar and uh, by Skype, and he'd just gotten out of prison. He'd spent, you know, several months in prison. His family's in jeopardy. I talked to Solomon yesterday. His life, Solomon, had to move. Things are still not good. It's still looking bad. Life's in danger, so we have a conversation. I ask him about his experiences, you know. I tell him how we're all praying for him, our church is praying. He can't speak any English, but he prepared a sign, and he held it up at the end. Says, "I'm praying. We're praying for Colt," you know. And I can't tell you how my like immediately I was almost like, nah. <laughs> you know, I was almost a little mad at Solomon, you know, for telling him, you know, because Solomon and I, we pray for each other. He's always asking about my, my, my family. You know, he's been over here twice. He, he loves cool. You know, so he's always praying. And i was almost mad at him for, oh, why would you share that with him? This guy's got enough on his plate. I thought, man, how prideful is that? I I need Pastor Regisgar to pray for me. I can't tell you how happy I am they are. I mean, I, I'm, talk about a privilege, you know. What what he literally said, I think I told you guys this. Is he said, he said, we're praying for you. He said, we're gonna. That was a Saturday when I talked to him. He said, we're gonna devote the first hour of our service to praying for you and for your family, for your church. And it just killed me that first hour. You know, like we're done after that, (laughs) Pastor. You know, (laughs) they're not. But some practical things. What if you struggle to know what to pray for? Um, We already talked about that a little bit, but notice back in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. If you're struggling with what to pray, then you're probably not watching. Okay? You probably don't have your spiritual radar on. There's probably, honestly, there's probably things happening in your family right now that desperately need your attention and you're missing it. I can't tell you how many times as I work with families, that was the case. Like like this deal been coming for a long time and people were not watching. It's not just us. Matthew 26. Night before Jesus' crucifixion. Verse 35, Peter says to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. All right, man, they are ready, aren't they? These guys have all said, man, we're ready to die with you. You know, let them come. Then they go up to the place called Gethsemane. Jesus is really troubled. He says, sit here, I'm going to go over and pray. And then he says in verse 38, he says, remain here and watch with me. Watch. Peter, James, John, pay attention to what's going on. Pay attention, man. There's big things happening. Would you guys watch? Would you pray? They do not. Going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible to take this cup from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 40, and he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know the end you know what happened after that. They go back to sleep. All of a sudden Jesus wakes them. Let's go, they're coming. Here comes the 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 mob. They arrest Jesus. Peter blows it there. They take Jesus, Peter follows, blows it three times, denies Jesus, does the very thing that he said 20 minutes ago he would not do. And the reason is he did not watch and pray. So how much more with us? How much more are there things going on in our lives that we need to be aware of? You need your spiritual radar on to know the importance of prayer. You need to have your eyes open to the spiritual attack on your family, on your marriage, on your relationships, to the work of God and others, to the opportunities that are in front of you. You need to watch so you know what to pray, but you also need to pray so that you are able to watch. Because here's the deal. Those two go so seamlessly together. When you're not praying, then you're not watching. Like you don't know what to see. You're not seeing what you ought to see. And when you're not looking, you're not praying. I mean, they're they're, they're back and forth. I don't know which one comes first, but it's always watch and pray. Watch and pray. Okay. What's your next step? Remember? We started with that. You didn't forget, did you? Have, you? have you written it down? So maybe for some of you, it's time and place. All right. This week, 5.30 a.m., backyard, on the swing with my Bible. Maybe it's noon, behind the shop. In my truck. Maybe it's maybe it's a combination of those. Maybe it's you're going to be Daniel three times a day, early morning, midday. You're going you're going to pause, take shorter periods. Maybe it's one big period. I don't know. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. But you need to have a plan. There needs to be a strategy. Again, the popcorn prayers are great, but you need to devote yourself to prayer. Maybe maybe your plan is a prayer guide. Do you still have the January thing? Michelle could get you know print those off for you that, that we had where we had thirty one passages of scripture with a prayer pray these scriptures maybe it's the prayer will we learned we used last year you remember that we can probably find that for you as well gives you basically an hour divides up an hour into different sections of prayer maybe you're going to have a prayer list maybe it's all these things you know you're going to you're going to write down 30 people you're going to write down your family You're going to pray for certain people certain days maybe you got to have a prayer group or a family prayer time or i don't know but I know that Paul commands us to be devoted to prayer, and so we need to take a next step. Father, help us with that, Lord. What what is our next step, God? What, uh, God? What would you have us to do today, tomorrow, Tuesday? Father, what would you have us do immediately that we might be devoted to prayer? Father, we ask that you would open doors for the word into our families, into our children, into our communities, into our world, into India, into North Africa and Thailand and Romania and the Czech Republic. Father, we pray that you would help us to watch, to watch and pray, to pray in thanksgiving. God, to pray for each other. Lord, put this in us. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name.